Good morning. This morning's uh, message can be found on page 983 of the Pew Bible. If you're if you choose to use that, Pastor Darwin will be leading us in the study of Colossians chapter 1 verses 1 through 8. Again, that's Colossians chapter 1 verses 1 through 8. Verse 1. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, to the saints and faithful brothers in Christ at Colossa, grace to you and peace from God our Father. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you, since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have for all the saints because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. Of this you have heard before in the word of the truth, the gospel, which has come to you, as indeed in the whole world it is bearing fruit and increasing, as it also does among you since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God in truth. Just as you learned it from Epaphras, our beloved fellow servant, he is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf and has made known to us your love in the Spirit." Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has already blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Amen. I want to uh, remind you again about uh, elder nominations. You can get the forms in the back, uh, and you'll see the the front form is the one where you put the uh, nomination, and then the second sheet, front and back, describes the qualifications for eldership and then on the back some of the duties of eldership both from scripture and from our our standards uh, so very very important that we're all praying about this uh, seeking God's face and as well just to remind you that we're on the verge of our deacon nominations uh, we've been through the training and they're in the process of exam being examined by the uh, elders and we hope to have before you fairly soon a a slate of of new deacons to uh, vote on. So uh, we're so thankful to God for uh, his work in our uh, midst to bring this uh, added leadership for us. Let's pray. Father, give us grace to embrace your word, to believe it, and live it out in joy in our lives for your glory and honor. Amen. Now, the, the title of the sermon, A Greeting of Grace and Thanksgiving for Grace, really becomes the outline. Uh, The first three verses, uh, the greeting, and as your own Bibles probably say, they are thanksgiving uh, in the the, uh, verses 3 through 8. Now, if you'll keep your Bibles open, because we're really going to focus in on uh, every word mostly in this passage, I will tell you I'm going to save Timothy and Epaphras for another time to talk some about them uh, may, may even give you a handout uh, concerning that. But concerning this greeting of grace, we first ask, who is it from? He says, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus. Now, kids, what it would it be like if you uh, got a letter? Your mom said, hey, you've gotten a letter in the mail, and you know what? It looks like a personal handwritten letter from the President of the United States. You're like, to me? 
Or maybe for you it would be better if it was uh, Peyton Manning or uh, Kobe Bryant or maybe Niall Horan from One Direction or Jennifer Lawrence, whoever, okay. Um, But you're stunned that you get this letter. And it's probably the kind of thing you wouldn't just take, eh, okay, throw it on your desk, forget about it. But you'd probably immediately open it up. You'd stare at the contents front and back. You'd you'd realize it's real. It's not a joke. And then you'd get alone with it and pour over it and probably memorize every word and quote it to all your friends because somebody sent this letter to me. Now, Paul probably doesn't seem to compare (laughs) in terms of one of those letters that you would receive. Uh, But Paul, actually, because he was so instrumental in beginning Christianity, and because Christianity had such a powerful impact in not only helping to form Western culture, but even to preserve Western culture, because Christianity and Western culture have had such a huge impact on every culture, Paul is one of the most important figures in human history. Really, he is. So, to have a letter from Paul is a big deal. And actually, this letter is to you. Because it's a letter written to a Christian church, it becomes a letter to every Christian church, and therefore, to every Christian. But even more important, as he says, he's an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God. This means that he's been chosen by God sent out by Jesus Christ, he's speaking the word of God. So really, this letter is a letter from God to you, in effect. Let's raise the stakes as high as they can be. It is a letter from God to each one of you. You certainly don't throw this letter on the desk, right? This is a letter to plunge into, to discover, to drink it in. Even a letter that will heal you and transform you and grow you as a human being. This letter is life to you. So that's who it's from, Paul and ultimately God. Now he says it's to the saints and faithful brothers in Christ. Saint we are familiar with, uh, well, in the way the Bible talks about saint, is not someone who lived a long time ago and did a whole lot of good things. Uh, great things that nobody else did, and was given the title of saint. And in that setting, very few of us make it to saint, right? Well, as many of you, as many of you know, in the Bible, every believer is immediately a saint when you trust in Christ. So you are a saint, as he says, saints in Christ Jesus, right? You're a saint because you're joined to Christ. You're a saint by grace, not by works. Okay? Completely different from what we think of as a saint. You are made a saint by God's grace. And the word saint simply means a holy one. Holy is to be separated out from all of those who refuse God, like you and I did as well, And then you are made to belong to God and become like God. That's what holy is. Belonging to God and becoming like God. 
And because of His kindness, every one of you is a holy one. This is grace. But He says not only a saint, but faithful. We uh, sometimes say of our dogs, right? He was such a faithful dog, right? Not many faithful people, but dogs are really faithful, right? But a faithful dog wants to be with you in the same way. You know that standard joke of saying, who loves you more, your wife or your dog? Well, put them both in the trunk of your car for two hours and see who's happy to see you when you open up the trunk, right? (laughs) There's the proof right there, I'm telling you. But a faithful dog, he just, he wants to be with you whatever room. You're in the living room, he's in the living room. You go to the kitchen, he's in the kitchen. You go to the bedroom, he's in the bedroom. You go downstairs, he's downstairs. You go outside, he's outside. He wants to be right there with you. My brother Bill Lug had a fantastic dog, Sam, who died recently. And Bill would put Sam's bed, sometimes just move it away to see what would happen, to move it away from his own bed. Here's Sam's cozy little warm bed. He put it away from his bed. Guess where Sam would sleep? He'd curl up on the bare rug right by Bill's bed. Aww. Because right? <laughs> he didn't care about the warm, fuzzy bed. He cared about Bill. And he didn't care about being on a bare He wanted to be with Bill faithful. See, faithful is not just what we, we tend to think of faithful as Keep at it, keep at it, keep at it. Faithful has a heart to want God. You just want to be with Him. You want Him. You want Him. A faithful dog, of course, not only if he's a part of a family, he loves his family, right? He's comforted in being with his family, happy in being wherever they are. And again, faithful in Christ, right? We can be devoted to God and devoted His people, find comfort with them and long to be with them because we're joined to Christ. He gives us that devotion. He supplies that devotion because we're joined to Him. And so this grace comes from Paul. It's spoken to the saints. And then here is what he speaks to them as Brian already talked to you about it. Grace to you and peace from God our Father. Uh, grace, as you know, is, is God's undeserved, faithful love that constantly pursues your good. That's grace, constantly being pursued by God to do you good. And peace is wholeness. It's Humpty Dumpty being put together again. Impossible. Nobody could do it. Nobody can put us back together again. But God does put us back together again the right way, the way we're supposed to be. And eventually he's putting the whole creation back together the way it's supposed to be. Peace, Old Testament shalom, is God's great restoration project for each one of us and for the whole of his creation. And he speaks that to us, you see. This is the good word that we call it a benediction, a good word. And this not only is what we speak at the end of service, but even coming into the service, he is speaking to us. He promises that these are ours. 
And because it says they're from God, our Father, we know the kindness behind it and the power. Nothing can stop grace and peace from coming to His people. Grace and peace will never run out from his pe- for His people because they come from God. And this pursuing love and progressive wholeness, it defines your life now. And He speaks it upon you always. So... We respond, as we had you say this morning, the amen, realize that's not the end, you know. Uh, There's nothing you can do about the basic uh, Gloria uh, uh, doxology is the the worst way to say amen. Because it says, amen. You know, what it should be is you end the song, you say, amen. Because you're saying yes. But you don't really get that in, amen. You know, it's just musically, it's not strong. But we, we, that's what we have right now. That's just what we have. That's not Jacob. Jacob didn't write that. Okay, Jacob didn't write that. <laughs> um, but, but the point I'm trying to make is when you hear grace and peace spoken to you, you need to say, yes, it is true. I believe you, O oh God. I know you mean it. I know that's what you're doing for me. Yes. Amen. Okay? That's our amen. And we want to use it more and more to to say we believe you, God. We expect you to do these things in our lives. So that's a greeting of grace. And then we have the thanksgiving for grace. Paul thanked God the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, more usually, Paul says the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, okay? The God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And that's what he intends when he says this. And this is a typical text that the Jehovah's Witness will throw at you because they don't believe that Jesus is God. And they'll say, uh, see, here it is. You can't say that he's the God and Father of the Lord Jesus Christ. He can't be God. And you say, oh, yeah, that's a good write that down. That's a good comeback. (laughs) It's in all the books. (laughs) But you see, we're not ashamed of a verse like this. We're not ashamed at all. We love this verse. It shows that though Christ is truly God and the creator of the world, as it says later in Colossians, he also is a true man. I've, I've, I've said this to Jehovah's Witness. I had one come yesterday. That's the fourth visit in the last months. Uh, but the, they, the, his actual creator of the world, he's a real man. And as a real man, God was his God and Father. But this is why that's so important. It's only because he's the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ that he's the God and Father of us. We love to hear that because we belong to Jesus who belongs to God. These are precious words. This is the new name of God. He's the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ and he's our God and Father as well. And so whatever issues you have with your earthly father, you have a real Father, a tender Father, a sacrificing, all-out-to-love-you Father 
a Father who serves you and does you good, who is none other than God Himself. As sure as He's Christ's Father, He's your Father because you belong to Christ. And then Paul says, we always give thanks when we pray for you. Paul has this constant gratitude, right, for the Colossians. And I want to stress how important this is for you and me, that we enter into this life of happy gratitude for one another, a life of giving thanks for one another. A regular part of marriage counseling uh, is that you're to carefully give thanks to God for the good things. Oh, yeah, the good things about your husband or wife because many times things start caving in and that's all you can think about, all you can think about. What he does wrong, what she says, how she acts, how he responds. But to begin to tip the scales the other way, to look through, to to latch on to the good things that are going on, especially to God's goodness in the midst of it. This many times, and for some of you, may even be a critical step right now because all you can think about are the things that are not good. Well, this is just as important for the body of Christ. You and I, by God's grace, can be regularly entering into new happiness by thanking God for all that we have in our church as a whole, as well as what individuals have done and are doing for you. But it means thanking God for those who are easy to get along with and thanking God for some of those who are more difficult to get along with. Gratitude. Gratitude to cover these relationships. Gratitude binds us together in fellowship. It really does. If you're not thankful and expressing that and feeling gratitude for the body of Christ, then we're missing one of the most critical bonds that we can have as a communion. We have a communion created by thanksgiving. And so I urge us all to enter into this joy of thanksgiving. It really does enable you to increase in your love for one another. It softens your heart to one another. It gives you resilience with one another. It moves you to serve one another. Enter into this gratitude. You know, uh, Lewis talked about praise C.S. Lewis talked about praise being the final and fulfilling happiness of the good that we receive, like the consummation of the happiness or good that we encounter. And I want to urge us, don't chop off the good you enjoy in this life, either of God's creation or culture or especially His people, by not entering into thanksgiving. I'll coin a word, let's that good find its happiestness in gratitude and praise, okay? That's, that's the ultimate end of your enjoyment of one another, is praise, gratitude, thanksgiving. A rosebud is beautiful, but when it opens up to that field of petals and that free, sweet fragrance, that's the completed beauty, and that's what praise is in every part of your life and especially 
with the people of God. And notice what he thanks God for here. Since we heard, verse 4, of your faith in Jesus in Christ Jesus, of the love that you have for all the saints, because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. Now, right off the bat, the fact that God, that Paul thanks God for their faith and love and hope shows that God is the author of these, right? I thank you that they have faith, that they have love, that they have hope. You're the one that did this. You brought it about in their lives. He's not thanking them for what they did on their own. He's thanking God for what he has done in their life. This is uh, further explicit down in verse 8, isn't it? Your love in the Spirit. This means love awakened by the Spirit. Love brought forth, kept vibrant by the Spirit. And that's encouraging because as we struggle with faith and love and hope, we can always come to him and be dependent and helpless and say, Lord, supply me, energize me, bring about that which you've begun. Further me, I'm running to the limits of my faith or my love or my hope. It always comes from him. He deepens it always. He's committed to that too. He wants you to have more faith and hope and love. So be encouraged and expectant in your prayers for those things. And isn't it interesting here that faith and love uh, are based on hope. You see, we heard of your faith and your love because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. We tend to think the other way around with that, but here he's saying there really can't be faith and love apart from hope. It's because of this hope laid up in heaven. The New International Version says, the faith and love that spring from hope. Okay? So let's dissect that a little bit. Hope, as he's describing it here, is the totality of blessing that awaits the Christian in the life to come. That's one definition. The whole of the blessing that awaits us in the life to come. There, we're made perfect in our goodness, right? Perfectly strong, everlasting bodies in perfect relationships with one another of eager and joyful love. And we're exercising flourishing gifts in service to one another and flourishing gifts in our rule and the new creation and all of its resources. It's huge. You can't even get your mind around the glory and majesty of this hope that he says is ours, that is reserved in heaven, which means nothing can stop it, nothing can change it, no enemy can assail it. It's safe in God's ruling power, this glorious hope. But it is essential that we have this hope. We must have this hope in what he will finally do for us in Christ or we will not put ourselves in his hands to do with us what he will. We just won't because we're going to think I've got to hold on or protect myself or grab something along the way unless I have 
this glorious hope. It's only by that hope that I can risk everything. It's only by hope that I can trust Him when things go so terribly bad for me and for my loved ones in this life. How else can I make sense of excruciating pain or mind-numbing tragedies or these streams of disappointments in every shape and form that come my way? It's because I have hope. Hope in what He's doing. Hope in what He's working for and preparing us for. Hope for all of His people. Hope for the whole earth. That's my context for living, you see. That's my context for when hard things happen. It's hope that enables faith and love to abound. It's the context for our present faith and love. Jerome Grootman a hematologist and oncologist. Hematologist, I think, means that he studies blood. Okay, an oncologist, cancer specialist. He's worked for years with people <clears throat> with life-threatening diseases. And he has written a book entitled The Anatomy of Hope, How People Prevail in the Face of Illness. He writes this, Hope is the elevating feeling we experience when we see in the mind's eye a path to a better future. Hope acknowledges the significant obstacles and deep pitfalls along that path. This is not a believer as far as I know. But he knows what hope means in the most difficult of circumstances. True hope has no room for delusion. And that's that's Scripture's hope. It, It embraces death. It embraces disease. It embraces broken relationships. It it embraces all the miseries of life. doesn't turn away from them. And it plants hope in the middle of them. Clear-eyed hope gives us the courage to confront our circumstances and the capacity to surmount them. For all my patients, hope, true hope, has proved as important as any medication I might prescribe or any procedure I might perform. And later, as he talked about his own journey through 19 years of pain and debilitation because of a failed spinal surgery, he says, Rekindled hope gave me the courage to embark on an arduous and contrarian treatment program and the resilience to endure it. Without hope, I would have been locked forever in that prison of pain. I saw Shawshank Redemption again uh, over the holidays, and Brian... Uh, quoted this passage uh, as well in his uh, teaching on Peter. But Andy's letter to Red, Red's come out of prison after 40 or so years. He's found the brick wall. He's under the oak tree, found the box. He opens the letter up. And those words, remember. And, and, and he's being tempted uh, to commit suicide because he doesn't know how to live on the outside. And... And he says, remember, Red, hope is a good thing, maybe the best of things. Maybe hope is the best of things. <laughs> it's a good word. I want you to turn with me to uh, page 949 in your books, or if you, don't, you have a different Bible, it's Romans chapter 15. <clears throat> I'd like for you to read this with me. 
just to underscore for you what you get from Scripture and what you get from the Holy Spirit. We talk often about the Word and Spirit and how they're both at work in our lives. I won't read the whole uh, context, but verse 4 of Romans 15, there on page 949. For whatever, whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction that through endurance and through the encouragement of the Scriptures we might have hope. You see... All of the Word of God in some way deals with the gospel, the good news, in some way preparing us for contrasting whatever, the good news of Jesus Christ. That's why the whole Bible is brimming with hope. Hope. I mean, he summarized, look, the, the one thing you can be sure of when you get into this Word, you will get hope. And then notice the work of the Holy Spirit down in verse 13. May the God of hope, okay, that's his name to give hope, powerful to do it. He's the God of hope. Fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that by the power of the Holy Spirit you may abound in hope. And so the Holy Spirit, the creator of the whole world, works in us to bring about strong and overflowing hope. Be encouraged what God is going to do for you in His Word and by His Spirit. Now, back in Colossians 1, just a little bit more. Hope, notice what Paul says here. It's the hope laid up for you in heaven... Of this you've heard before in the word of truth, the gospel. Word of truth means the word that describes the way things really are. And here's some good news. The way things really are, is it's good news. There's some good news and there's a good news of hope. That's where you heard of this hope. In the person of Christ, in the good news of the gospel what God really has done in Christ. And this gospel, as he says, bears fruit. It is bearing fruit and growing in the whole world and among you. And how does it do this? Well, it transforms lives. It transforms relationships. It transforms communities. It actually creates new communities of love and mutual support and communities that in, that in turn begin to extend themselves in service to a surrounding world. If you've ever driven through the grapevines in California or the orange groves in, in Florida or maybe the cornfields in Iowa, right? Those are pictures of the fruit of the gospel in our lives and the fruit of the gospel as it spreads in this world. Brothers and sisters, This is the good news of what God has done in Christ Jesus for this sinful world, and we get to be a part of it. And he summarizes it right there and says that it is the word of, is, excuse me, the word of grace. It's the grace of God in truth, the reality of the grace of God, the wonderful reality of of God's undeserved kindness that's shown to us in the death of His own Son. It shows that this comes to us as lost, 
undone. We're idolatrous. We've abandoned him. We've refused him. We're standing against him. We're living for ourselves and instead of him. That's how he finds us. But it's a gospel of grace. (laughs) It's a gospel that doesn't look for us to find anything to deserve in us. It finds us in that condition and it embraces us. He loves us. He gives himself for us. It finds us helplessly lost in darkness, stumbling toward the destruction of everlasting death. And it reveals to us the kindness of God in Christ. It reveals to us that we can be forgiven. I can be accepted before God. It gives me the hope of everlasting communion with this God in a renewed world (laughs) in Christ. It's all grace, this good news. And I want to urge you, if you're not a believer, that won't you enter into this hope, even this morning, won't you give yourself up to God's favor and grace? The Son of God came as a human being. He died in our place to bear our punishment so that all of our guilt could be removed. That's been accomplished. It's been done. And He comes to offer it to you freely. Won't you enter into that shelter of His love and care in which He promises there's not one hair of your head that I will not keep up with and every single thing that happens in your life, I will cause it to work to your ultimate good so that you one day will be perfect with me in a perfect world. It's a pretty good offer (laughs) from a gloriously kind God. He comes to us in this letter. He comes to us in this whole word. And I hope for some of you that we'll be able to thank God also for your new hope, for your faith in Christ Jesus, for your love for all the people of God. Let us pray. Lord, we... Thank you for this letter that you've, you've put in our hands, Lord. You've preserved it these 2,000 years and given it to us so that we can hear of your grace. We can hear of your majesty and goodness. We can enter in to the glories that it speaks of. Bless us, Lord, with faith. Bless us with grace that we will rest in Christ, that we will know you as our Father, um, that we will live in this hope. For your namesake we pray. Amen.